Hello and welcome to Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. Our guest today is my friend Robert Wall. Yay, Robert. Robert. I just lost your audio. I just lost your audio. And your picture. You just went out. It says I'm live for 23 seconds, but I can't see you anymore. You, 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 you. I lost that half of the screen. What be happening? I should relink probably. I'm going to relink, as they say. Let me. Where's it say leave? It oh no, you are. now you're back. Okay. Okay, it booted me off. You were on that whole time. Yes. <laughs> were you talking to everybody? No, I was talking to you, saying I couldn't see you, and I, I thought I was, you know. So, uh, I think it, it was as soon as you brought up the Facebook thing, I noticed that they cut you right out. You know something? They did. They it's cut pretty, me. It pretty was pretty close to that. You know. Wow. And you know what's really scary? Have you noticed that whenever you talk about anything, all of a sudden you get the ads on your phone and whatever for whatever you were talking about? Has that happened to you? No. No, I okay. don't you that. Well, it's happened to me. And now it's not only if I'm talking about something, but if I'm reading about something, I get the ads. You, you, are you on Facebook? You're on Facebook. Yeah. All right. Now you're going to just shake your head and not talk to me. Hi, Valerie. Hi, no. Hi, Laura. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about things we were going to save for on the Robert. Tell me, what what's your COVID been like? What what was the pandemic like for you, Barbara? Uh, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I I had I didn't mind it all that much. <laughs> I had I I you know I had I had my nice house and yeah. I went back and uh uh. You know, baseball finally got on, so that was good when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got, you know, it's like, and it's, you know, luckily I'm in Los Angeles. I have to say, if I'd been New York, it'd been tougher because right. you know I have I have help out here. My, you know, so I could. It's not New York, so you're not enclosed. So right. that was, you know, that was pretty great. Um, right. I mean, I missed going to a movie. I missed, uh, you know, I missed theater. I miss restaurants, although we don't go out that much here. I go much more in New York. Okay, so uh, what were you doing with food? Were you doing, um, did, were you having groceries delivered? Were you go, Were you going? Were you eating? And, what were you you know, I have an assistant who uh, would bring the groceries and do the, do the, the errands and stuff like that. Right. And, and uh, the only time I ever really went to the market was a Starbucks on the weekends or went to the market. I really didn't do that much. You know, plus, plus I had a thousand screeners for the Oscars. Uh, and uh, it was amazing. I had a thousand screeners, and I couldn't find four good movies. Okay. <laughs> the only thing that I've watched so far that I've loved was The Father, which yeah, I'm sure it's great. But I I I went through that with Barb's mom, Barb Barb's dad, who died of Alzheimer's, and her mom has got dementia. So I'm I, I don't have to. Yeah. I, my father passed from Alzheimer's, but I yeah. what was fascinating about it for me was that it was his view, which I've never seen done before. And that was pretty fascinating. You ever, see a, you ever see a movie talk about his view? Do you ever yeah. see a movie called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Uh, yeah. It was directed by uh, Julian Schnabel, the artist. Wasn't he your college roommate? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, uh, freshman year, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's done, it's about a guy who has 
French guy who has what's known as locked-in syndrome, where you cannot move. Your brain's perfectly fine. So the only thing you do is you can blink through his eye and communicate. And, it's, see, told, and it's told from his point of view. I did see that movie. Oh, so it, you know, it's it's a terror. Oh, great movie. I mean, Julian was nominated for the Oscar, and he actually yeah. won. He won the director's award at Cannes that year for that movie. Wow. He's a good filmmaker. He did Basquiat, Julian. Yeah. Julian's a good filmmaker. Absolutely. Um, yeah, never, so once, never once cast me. Not once. The same <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> Fuck him. Well, you you certainly had a lot of charm in that area, and we'll we'll talk about all. So, getting back to COVID, so were you having like restaurant food delivered? Were you cooking? Um, I would get restaurant. Yeah, we got a lot of times restaurant food. Yes, uh, yeah, and I also started cooking. I me and I became very good buddies with Jacques Papin, and uh, on the videos. Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, it's. It, Are you like a, you're a gourmand when you cook as well? No, as no, 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 no. I know how to make you know chicken thighs and some fish, and uh, I, I, you know, because, you know, I'm diabetic, so and plus, so I have high triglycerides, so you know, I, I, I eat a lot of fish. I got to, I eat more fish than other fish. <laughs> <laughs> you got booted again. You got booted again. This is crazy what's going on. I have a great- um, I know what it is. The fish were listening. <laughs> I have a big salmon restaurant. They knew what we were talking about. And they have their own group. It's the uh, Fin Two movement. The Fin <laughs> Two. And they heard us making a joke about fish. And of course, you can't make a joke about fish. <laughs> you know, that's politically incorrect. So they, so they can't. I'm part of the cancel culture now in the fish world. Meanwhile, I have a, a retina, I have a macular issue, so I'm supposed to eat fish at least three times a week and spinach five times a week, and it's like cures all, all ills. But I have a great baked salmon recipe for you that's easy and fantastic, slow-baked. It's fabulous. Okay. Um, okay, so so you were bringing in stuff. You didn't mind it that much. Were you productive? Were you writing? Not exceptionally. I mean, yeah, but I, I, you know, I just I enjoyed each day. I, you know, I, I binge watched a bunch of shows. I okay, did. what did you love? What did you love? You know, I had never seen The West Wing, and because I was doing the HBO series during that time, and it, it was so good. But the first, I would say, what did they do? Six, seven seasons. The first three years, maybe it was three, three or four years. Where Sorkin's in charge. Yep. It's phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm I'm leads, they, a, I, they got a transition. The last two seasons are good. I stopped at the end of the third season. I have to go back into it and watch the rest because I knew Rob Lowe was leaving Sorkin. Everybody, um, yeah. yeah the, 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 maybe it's the fourth season. It is not, it's not, it's a transition season. You know, you, ever, you know, the, the show went on the left, they had to find a different point of view a little bit. Uh, and it got better, but it got, it's, you know, it was just, I like seeing something smart. You know, it was smart and it was so well done. You know, it, to me, is a right, you know, as somebody like his sorking is inspiring. Oh, God, I know. Have Are you watching The Handmaid's Tale? No. All right. I got it. It's smart and brilliant. I'm, I'm just saying, it's really fabulous. It's incredible yeah. TV. It really is. Yeah. Okay. What else did you like? What new did you binge? You're gonna Barbara's last, and you know what I'm hooked on, which I love watching, and it's just 
on a different level of entertainment value. <laughs> I've been binge watching Blue Bloods. Do you know? <laughs> Blue Bloods is a show on CBS. It's in its 11th year. What? And I've never even heard of it? With Tom Selleck. And it's about a, a New York generational family of cops in New York. And Selleck is the police commissioner. He is the son of Len Cario, who plays the, who's also the former police, uh, earlier police commissioner. His daughter is the, an assistant district attorney, and he's got a young son. He's lost one son. One son got killed, and he's got wow. a young son who, who after graduating Harvard, when his brother got killed, uh, when his brother got killed in the line of duty, he became a cop. So uh, I like it. It's got a New York attitude. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a TV show, but sometimes they get into interesting political, social things, which I find interesting. Cool. And, and I know you did a little bit of work because I know you did something with Don Most, our friend Don Most. Mm -hmm. what, what was that about? What was that? Don and I had done uh, a couple of years ago, we had done the Sunshine Boys together in right. Pinehurst, North Carolina. And what was that like? <laughs> Well, the work experience great. The working with Donald's great. Uh, that that was really fun and everything. The, the experience was interesting because I was there with my wife Barbara, and Barbara uh, is an ex you know a hippie chick who marched on Washington, and she grew up in the Berkshires, and you know, and she's Catherine Hepburn liberal, and uh, you know I you know I grew up in suburbia New Jersey, and I went to school in Texas, so I knew the South a little bit. She did not. Right. So now there's a couple of things that I have to say. You know, there is a there is a stereotype of Southern hospitality and manners, which is 100% true. Really? Oh, they're great. The manners and the hospitality, they really, I mean, the good, I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, that, that part's true. Um, it was interesting because we, we had our dogs with us then. And so Barbara would go out. We were staying in this hotel, this one of these um, like residence inn type of places. And, right. uh, and they had a bar and they had a patio outside. And uh, so Barbara would, and it was very safe. So Barbara would walk the dogs. My wife is a, is a vampire. She doesn't go to bed. She, she doesn't go to bed till five in the morning. That's true. She doesn't get up till five in the afternoon, but she, <laughs> that's God's honest truth. So, but she's up all night. I mean, she's on her HG shows, uh, Lover Listed and everything that's murder porn, any kind of that documentary, you know, Dateline or ID, Discovery ID. She's on every one of them. And she has, I kid you not. On our, on our DVR, there are 150 taped episodes of Law and Order, Law and Order SVU, whatever, or SUV, uh, SVU. Uh, I mean, oh. it's like, whoosh. So, <laughs> but she would go out and walk the dogs like one o'clock in the morning uh, in the back of this hotel courtyard. And, right. and there'd be a bunch of guys, you know, who were staying at the hotel or locals. Who right. out there, you know, and they had their bottles of bourbon right there, you know, each one had a different bottle. So Barbara's walking, she's talking with him there, asking about the dog, and she's having a great time. And then she says, Robert, and then I look over to my right, and on the table were all these rifles, all these guns. And she goes, and she never seen anything like this before. So right. she was like flipped out. And she, she comes with Robert. I mean, because all these guns were there. And they were, they were, they, you know, they were there because, you know, they had guns. Right. And, uh, and she said, by the way, 
they were beautiful to look at. They were beautiful things to look, but it just shook her up. You know, it suddenly, wow. you know, there were guns. Wow. Um, you know, so uh, so that experience was fine. I, and Donnie and his wife, we had a great time. We'd go out to dinner together. So Donnie asked me to do a thing called viral videos, I think they're called. Uh-huh. And the two-hander, your guy would write plays. They would have people writing short plays for two-handers, uh, two people, two-man cast. And Donnie and I did one called Old Friends. And we did, I think, the first one. And uh, we had, you know, it just, it was just, it only lasts about 20 minutes. But if you look them up, I think they're viral videos. I hope that's right. Old Friends. Well, look up Donnie Most and me. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it and I'll put the link. Yeah. Uh, yeah really nice. How was it doing the Sunshine Boys there? Oh, well, okay. That's another story. Again, you're in the South. You know, you're in North Carolina. Now, Pinehurst, of course, is well known because of the golf course. Pinehurst, uh, they hold they hold uh, PGA tournaments there. It's okay. a it's a golf mecca, Pinehurst, North Carolina. But you are also in a very, you know, this is where the evangelicals, uh, evangelicals are, and it's a very religious base there. And right. so we were doing the Sunshine Boys, and the producer said, you know, this is the first we haven't done a Neil Simon play in about five or eight years, I think. I said, why not? I, I would think your audience would love it. He goes, yeah, but the last one I did was Plaza Suite. And in Plaza Suite, which is a three-act play, three stories, one of the stories is about a husband who's having an adulterous affair. And they didn't think they walked out of that. Come on! No, you know, that's... Wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so he had to tread lightly. He really did. I, I fell for the guy. Wow. But but the, but I had a great time doing it. I would love Don and I talked about doing it again. I'd like to do that again. You we were talking about it before. I mean, how do you learn all those lines and do everything for such a short run? You said it was a short run, right? Yeah, we only did, I think, five performances or something like that. Um, how do you learn all those lines? Well, that's your job. I mean, are you okay? So now as we age slightly, Robert. Is that a tougher thing to do? Is are you, do you not have trouble doing that? Is that That's a great question? Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's a great question. Now, is it harder? Well, not with Neil Simon. I have to say, if it was somebody else, perhaps because the memory, you know, you know, but that's more short-term memory. The uh, with Neil Simon, his I grew up on him. Right. And his jokes, his rhythms, his phrases are, are second nature to me because they're mine also a lot. So right. um so you know, so so with Neil Simon, but outside of other people, you know, learning lines. I haven't had that much problems so far. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of big actors who can't act anymore because, especially, well, you know, well, some of them wear earpieces with, you know, with right, right, coming. But you know, it, it, you know, that is a, you know, that's a, that's a shit part of getting older. Do you, do you have a system that do you have, other than doing it over and over? Do you have a system for learning lines? Uh, well, that's one of them. Uh, there's also a great app called Rehearsal, Rehearsal Pro, which is very good because you talk into it and then you can hear you you can hear it over and over again. Uh -huh. uh, that's very good. I also 
have sometimes, and I've always done this, uh, it's hard to do with a complete play because it's just too much. I like to put it through my computer. I type it, I, and I, I write the script into my computer. So as I'm writing it, I'm saying, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it sticking, writing it down. I believe that. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I mean, that it helps me, you know, so <laughs> it helped them. So, but that's, you know, but again, it's Neil Simon. Neil Simon, you know, I'm not doing Shakespeare here. You know, when I say, when I don't mean like it's, like it's, it, right. it, 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 when I say Shakespeare, you know, you're dealing with language that you, you know, you, nobody uses anymore. It's iambic pentameter, right. and you know, who knows? I mean, with Neil Simon, like I said, I grew up with Neil Simon. Right. So, when you, when the pandemic hit, were you in the middle of anything? Did you have? To, did anything get aborted? What What happened? Well, it was funny because uh, I was the fact the day before they shut everything down. My god, uh, my goddaughter and I, uh, we were in the, we were in Phoenix mm -hmm. for uh, spring training. We, we go to spring training every year, uh, but uh, so now she's grown up, so she, you know she, she's not, she's working. So, but now we're going to go to, we're going to go to two baseball games together. We've always gone to baseball games together. So, um, uh, so we, we flew back right afterwards, and that the next day was everything was shut down. It was about two days later. We, we go, you know, they shut down baseball the next day, and then, and then I think they shut down everything within a week, right? Pretty much. So, and, and did you? What, I had, I haven't been able to write. Were you able to write? Did you write during the pandemic? Some, some, mm -hmm. mostly memorable, mostly um, memories, mostly uh, stuff like that. Uh, where I was writing stories of my, you know, that I went through, you know, people I met, just jotting down all the stories that I know. I love this. So, is there a memoir in the works? Memoir. Somebody wants to buy my book, fine. I need the memoir. Um, I mean, because it, it, I, I have been fortunate, and I have great stories. I really. You do. have the best. You have the best stories. So, uh, you know, I've been really fortunate. So I've been putting them down. You know, so I, I think I have to get in. And so you might as well. Might as well. Sounds like a good idea to me. So, so speaking of the story, so I, I was telling you before the show that a lot of the people that watch now are, are new to Game Changers since COVID. We, I started the COVID crazies found me. And um, so a lot of these people don't know your story, Robert. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you things that we've talked about probably maybe before, um, but you do have great stories, and I want to go there again. So I remember you saying that you were not the class clown; you were the class cle you were cle you were clever. Clever was that the word you used? The class wit. The class wit. Yes. Okay. So so you're a little kid. You're growing up in New Jersey, did you say? Mm -hmm. You're in New Jersey. Okay, in New Jersey, and. Um, when are you doing class? Are you doing the school plays? I mean, what are you doing when you're a kid? Um, uh, some of that. They, you generally didn't. I, I did some of the plays. What's interesting is they didn't cast me. And then about what happened, I remember in, in my junior or senior year, I think my junior year of high school. Yeah. For whatever reason, the, they they came to me and asked, look, uh, we got to can we can you come up with the class show? Uh, we need to have it in like three days. And I said, yeah. So we did like a faux Johnny Carson show. Oh, listen to this. So we're doing a faux Johnny Carson show. And uh, and, and it was fun because we had all the bits with the car. Yeah, they knew you can do this because you're funny. 
That's where they yeah we were we prepared. I wrote the damn thing, you know, and I had a guy who was a, who was a good guy who, who was the Ed McMahon, and, and and two things happened. One was they built a set, but I didn't realize the set was on a, a platform. So when I sat down at the chair, I leaned back, I flew head over heels off the set. Wow, what a big laugh that got, you know. I mean, I mean everybody remembered that. <laughs> But the other thing that happened was, <laughs> you remember, uh, and I'm here, but we're going to date ourselves now. Okay. Year For years, Johnny Carson, I would say, this is the 60s here, uh, would have a guest called Monty Rock III. Do you remember Monty Rock III? He was a very flamboyant back then. That was a term. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yes, right. So, and he was, so we had somebody be Monty Rock III, and he was, you know, very flamboyant and everything, and very... Uh, and I, so I get pulled between shows. We had to do two shows. Between, and it went over real well. And between shows, the vice principal of the school pulls me over and says, you're lucky I don't suspend you. He goes, how dare you, how dare you refer to homosexuality in the school? It's like, who the fuck knows homosexuality? <laughs> I mean, it's like, huh, I'm 16. I'm not thinking, back then you're not thinking. It's like he's flamboyant. Uh, I mean, uh, he, uh, it's, it's, you know, maybe he's what my mother would refer to as a fagula. You know, that's what he, right? So, but the guys wouldn't throw me out of school for this. Oh, God. And, and fortunately, my mother went to, she saw the show. She's hysterical. And so, you know, so we had a couple of money rocked third out of the second show. But I remember that, and that, that Jack Garabrand. Hey, if you got any, if you're still alive, fuck you. You know? <laughs> You know, you, I'm sure you're not, you know, I'm sure you're not alive. Fuck you. You are such an asshole. I'm sorry. So that was your first time being censored? Well, it was the first time, uh, yeah, maybe, I guess maybe so. Uh, you know, I hadn't done much before junior's high, junior's, junior uh, class. <laughs> okay, so you so you write this thing this you write you write this, and I seem to recall you wrote other stuff. Or, did you write plays back then? Did you write plays in school? No, I wrote play. I uh, wrote a play later. Uh, I wrote in the college, and then a couple of years ago. Uh, no, no, no. Then I go off to college, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I was not a good student. I was not a good student. Uh, I just didn't give a shit. Uh, more than anything else, it was, I was the I was the classic. He doesn't apply himself because I didn't care. About, I knew what I wanted to do at a young age. A story. Okay, how, how did that happen, Robert? How did what's what sparked you? Do you remember? Well, I, I love movies. I love storytelling. My dad was a great storyteller. Uh, love storytelling. Love the movie page in the. Uh, my mom said I taught myself to read by reading the movie page, the entertainment sections, because they were colorful and pictures. They had movie stars on. Right. So. Uh, so I knew what I want. So to me, anything that didn't really lend itself to that, better. That's why I like history because history's got stories. Math doesn't have stories. <laughs> you know, math doesn't have stories. That must be it. Um, you know that kind of stuff. But history's got stories. So that was my English has stories in a different way. Yeah, but in English and that's it. It's English and it's. It's history. I didn't give a damn about anything else. So, in fact, the only reason I probably, well, there was a war going on, so I was going to college. Um, 
show. Uh, were you part of that whole, uh, did you have a number in the draft and all yeah. of that thing? Yeah. What was your number? 302. Lucky you. Wow. Yeah, here's the thing is I wasn't eligible the first year. I was too young. Mm -hmm. And my birthday is 342. And I'm going, you know, it's like shit. So the next year, now I'm eligible. Right. Uh, 302. So, you know, so then, so then once I got that, then I really don't care about school. <laughs> but I stay, but I, I didn't really, I don't care about class. I love school. I hated class. So, uh -huh. I, so I went to Houston and crammed four years into seven. Uh, <laughs> it was just seven years and I still haven't graduated. Although they gave me a distinguished alumni award. Nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, seven years and you didn't, how are you, okay, Robert, how were your parents through all of this? Oh, okay. Well, the first four years, now at the same time, I started getting involved with the athletic department and I, and I was writing for local comedians. I mean, local good, like, oh. talk show, radio hosts, guys who ran this, and then they had a show restaurant. So I wound up supporting myself, you know, for probably the last three years. Oh, plus, I got a very, I got uh, be, become a Texas citizen, you know, and a uh, resident. Oh, Texas. resident, right. I did that in Arizona, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and tuition was like, back then, a hundred dollars a semester right. you know, for in residence. Now I had to pay for my room and board and everything, but but right, right. You know, so it wasn't so. And I love school. I mean, I love class. I had great friends to this day, uh, great friends, and uh, I just didn't like class too much, with the exception of the drama department, sports department. Oh, so yeah, who I am. Yeah. So I know you love sports. Were you athletic? Did you participate? Oh, I, I was an okay athlete. I wasn't a a college quality, you know, varsity athlete. No, I was just a good, you know, intramural player. You know, baseball, basic, basically baseball, softball and baseball and football and some flag football. Yeah, but you no, 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 I wasn't you that. Played street hoops. Everybody I grew up with played. Yeah, I wasn't that good a basketball player. We had teams, you know, were in the dorms. So, uh, you know, but uh, I wasn't. Basketball is not my strength. Okay, so did you have? Job jobs when you were in college? Did you do that to make money? What did you so you were making all your money from writing jokes or no, no, no. Now I did make I worked for the intramural department at the at the school, so I, they paid me some money there. Mm -hmm. And I then I get the job at uh, at Astro World in the part of the medicine show until Six Flags buys it, and the first thing they do is fire us. And oh. then I got a job at this English show restaurant called 1520 AD which was like a, a, you know, Henry VIII and his wenches type of restaurant. And that actually, you know, I made some money. So I, so yeah. And then finally it was time to, you know, I, it was time to, you know, let's get the show on the road here. And I got, you know, so, and seeing, it was also just when it was the beginning of Saturday Night Live. Okay. And, so that was and, the whole, and the whole comedy comics, you know, with, with Freddie Prinz and Robert Klein. Well, it was after Klein, but it was Freddie Prinz and David Brenner was ahead of me, and that wave, and Gabe Kaplan, Gabe Kaplan, and, and, and that people. And, uh, so I, I thought, I thought maybe I should start doing that and write myself an act, and then as a showpiece, you know, because I know who's going to cast me as an actor. Uh, but as a showpiece, I could do that, and that's pretty much what happened. And so, how did you? So are you self-taught? How, how did you? How did you? How did you? It's it's stand-up. How did you construct your act? 
Well, the, your influences conduct your act. Uh, back then, the biggest influences I had, I, I had, well, again, I said Neil Simon, but I, you know, my influences were a lot. The performing side was from the actors and the movies, and you know, it depends on which character it was. Uh, right. As far as writing, it was Neil Simon, and of course, the biggest, the, the two biggest. It's strange, but they were these were two big guys for me. Of course, Woody Allen and Rodney Dangerfield. And the first thing I'm, I'm not doing stand up a month and I knock on Rodney's door and I sell him some jokes. Wow. Wow. And wow. it's funny because it's funny because I turned on YouTube and, and you know, so they know what you're watching on YouTube and they had Rodney Dangerfield's old Carson routines. And I hit on one and as I'm watching, I said, Oh my God, this is the first show. This is the first time I wrote for Rodney. And I heard, and I heard the joke, my joke. And the thing was, it was great. And that was the first time my parents watched, stayed up to watch it, you know? So, and this is about 1978. And what's interesting is that joke that I wrote and about, Half his act could not be done today. Do you remember the joke? Yep. No, I can't because it's it's politically incorrect today. Yeah. Just like, well, my wife is so fat. She got on a scale of car, came out and said, one at a time. You know? (laughs) Well, well, he's great. You you can't, you know, you can't do his, my wife is so fat jokes, which is part of his act. Right. Oh my um, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's you know that's the cancel culture problem right now. Yeah. So okay, so you're selling jokes. You're doing stand up. Right. I, be- I become a make- reg- regular at the improv. Uh, I get better and better. I'm writing it. Uh, Stiller and Mira gave me a job. Um, they had this five minute show, five minutes on and local NBC, WNBC, it was interstitial programming, I think between, like a, between 4.55 and 5 o'clock. And they had these five-minute sketches, and that, I, I sold one of them. So uh, Rodney wow. and them gave me my first jobs. And then I did stand-up, and I, I, you know, I became pretty decent stand-up comic. I mean, my class was, uh, well, it was Larry David. It was Jerry. It was Paul Reiser. It, it was, uh, who else am I leaving? Gilbert. Um, I mean, these are good people. Um, yes, absolutely. Right, and uh, and I became like the go-to guy at the improv for Chris Albrecht. So I got, and then somebody came and saw me, and he was doing the pilot for the Tony Tennille show, and he flew oh, me out to California to perform and to write on the show, and then uh, I pretty much stayed out here after that. I got, you know, so, and then uh, you know, that's that's how I got to start. How did you uh, segue from from television to movies? That was a game. It's not segueing from I did a five-minute stand-up piece. I mean, <laughs> like, like, like I was a, 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 a an actor on a, like you know something, and then suddenly, oh, I got to make the next step. I was hired to do five minutes on a show. Well, how did I make it? Somebody saw me in an audience. Um, I was at the comedy store, and mm-hmm. a director saw me for a movie called The Hollywood Nights, and uh, she brought me in to meet with the director. And it was an improv, pretty much, and uh, I got the gig. You didn't improv Olari, did you? Yes. You did. 
Wow. Now, 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 let me let me clarify that. In the script, the script, the uh, <laughs> in, in the script, uh, the character Nubom Turk, he oh, could God. he he could his talent was he could fart the song Shaboom. <laughs> and I went to the director and I said, "How do you uh, how do you, how do you do this?" And he goes, you know, life is but a dream, shaboom, if I could be with you. Well, I said, but, you know, you can't, a fart isn't going to be, you know, it's got to fill a, it's got to fill a void. I mean, so I said, can I, I go, I don't get how, can we change the song? And I, because I go, because I go, let me do Volare, because there's a pause after, Volare, <laughs> whoa, right, Cantare, <laughs> Whoa! I said, so you got, you know, you can do that. And he went, and God bless him, he went with it. You know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's so, something to be proud of, huh? So, so it is. So, okay. So, wait. We started to say. So, what are your parents thinking about this? Well, my dad had passed. My dad died uh, so, about about whew, April twenty first, nineteen seventy seven. So. When did it, when did the, he died? I had one, I had, when I was in college, my roommate and I, we would watch the 20,000, the $10,000, there was $10,000 pyramid all the time back then. Right. And, uh, and I, I used to, I said, like Jeopardy, you know, and I said, you know, if I go back to New York, I don't want to be a contestant on this show. He would say, yeah. So I went on and I did win. And, and so I won the pyramid. Uh, so, uh, and so the day it was aired was my mother's birthday and my father and mother were vacationing at the Safety Harbor Spa in Safety Harbor, Florida. And he bought, you know, he, he knew I was going to be on TV winning the pyramid. So he bought champagne for everybody who's at the spa. And then he dies in his sleep that night. So, uh, yeah. Well, my dad was sick. I mean, my dad had heart disease and diabetes. And, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, but he was very young. He was 53. Wow. But he got to see you win the pyramid. He got to see me win the pyramid. That's right. That's what about story. Whereas my mother, after she sees Hollywood Nights, she goes to the premiere in New York and she comes back. She's like, I've been so embarrassed in my life. It's like, I mean, she hated the movie so much. And her son was up there with his uh, mooning and having his uh, farting away. Oh, did she hate it. Did she hate it? Oh, my God. <laughs> but had she seen you do stand up? Did she like that? Yeah. 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 And so when did you win her over? <laughs> what 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 role did you? I was have? a son. No, but I mean, what, what, when did you do a role that she goes? That's my well, son. She, well, she dies not that long after that too. Mm -hmm. um, but I was doing. Uh, I was making a living. Yeah. Well, I was making a living, and uh, you know, I, you know, I was making a living as a comedian, and I had, you know, I, I'd written Police Squad. She was around for Police Squad. Although I, that one, she, that's not her show either. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, uh, no, I mean, I, they, they got to see very, very little of my work at all. Very little of it. It's way before anything happens, really. You know. Were they supportive of you yes. following that path? Yes, my mother was very supportive. My father was couldn't figure it out because I mean, we had a family business. What and, was the family business? Uh, fruit, uh, fruit distributors, produce, still around. It's a successful business. Wow. Um, and it started with his father, his yeah. grandfather. That's right. Right. His grandf grandfather, the father, yeah, something like that. And uh, and he knew I had wanted no part of that. 
So, uh, <laughs> so my mother, they made me go to the American Bartender Academy just to have something to fall back on. And I remember doing that, uh, getting a, a hundred on the test and never working a day in my life. I was a bartender. I got to work as a comic and earn a living, keeping my paying rent and keeping myself alive. That's so, um, so, you know, so, uh, you know, she was, you know, okay, yeah, she was sure. But my dad knew that you could make a lot of money in show business. He was, he knew that. And my mother just would, because I would drive into, you know, I live in New Jersey, so I, I was living in my parents' home then. And right. I would drive in every night, Monday through Monday through Sunday, probably seven nights a week, to, right. to perform at the improv at, you know, 12 o'clock, at 12 midnight before like 10 people. Right. First going in there at about 1030 at night, and they couldn't figure, for nothing, because you didn't get paid. So, right. but they were... My mom was very supportive. I, I, you know, you know, that's my parents were supportive. That was great, but I, but I did okay from, you know, I, I was, you know, I just started, you know, just started, and here I am. I, I well, the pyramids. That's not good. That's not doing. But I was writing for Rodney Dangerfield, and they, so, you know, they saw the my stuff on TV, and you know, so, wow, that was quick. You know, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even six months out of college. That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. So okay, so Hollywood Nights. So what? So did Hollywood Nights change your life? Not really. No, actually, no. I didn't work again for quite a while. Uh, well, I, that's that's. I not no. Uh, it gave me a credit, and credits give you credibility. Uh, but I didn't work in, 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 for a couple of years, and then well, then I wrote Police, uh, the Zucker Brothers. I had auditioned for Airplane. And uh, uh, the Zucker brothers came and saw me, and uh, they liked what they saw, so they hired me to be a writer on Police Squad, which was great. Uh, that's I owe them a lot. That was a great opportunity. Learned a lot. Uh, learned a whole lot. And uh, did you study screenwriting or anything like that, Robert? What's that? Had you studied screenwriting, or did you just ju dive in there? Pretty much dove in and read, you know, books. No, I had. Well, here's what I did do. I, I had read uh, a couple of books by William Goldman, you know, mm -hmm. who's a whole fine great yes. screenwriter. And uh, so I knew the form a little bit, but I learned, you learn. And, 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 you know, and I had worked in theater and good plays, so it's not that much different. Um, so, so that worked, and then I'm not working for a while. And I get a call, a couple of, I get a call a couple of years later that, this guy is doing a movie. We shared an agent. And, and this one of their clients, a director, is looking for somebody to improvise two weeks' worth of comedy in this movie he's doing. And so I meet with him. And it turns out when I was doing Hollywood Nights, uh -huh. the, same, the same company that was producing Hollywood Nights was producing a movie called Foxes with Jodie Foster at the same time. And he directed that movie. However, and I started telling stories about the owners of the company that I knew and uh, you know, and he went through the same stuff with the, with the company. So he, we hit it off and he hires me for two weeks. So I'm doing this movie for two weeks and they never shoot me. They, I never do anything. Wow. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a bar, all guy bar. Uh, and I'm sitting there and the chef wants to be a comedian and he's, you know, trying to throw jokes out. And he says something about the Steelers, and I yell out, just, just as a reaction shot, I went, go Steelers! Thank God that line's in the movie. 
any, I'll tell you why. This is, I'm going somewhere with this. And this movie, and there's nothing there. There's girls on stage, you know, doing their thing. There's the cook comic. There's water splashing everywhere. And <laughs> the one thing is I knew. Now, well, oh, I left out a piece here. After I did Police Squad, I was hired by Paramount to be one of their staff writers uh, for, for features. They started to put together an old-fashioned writer's wing. So I was one of them. And my office was right above Simpson and Bruckheimer's office. And you could hear the screams. Like, right, I could hear them all the time. But I knew them. And they were producing this movie. And I'm not talking telling tales, but because I knew Don Simpson, mm -hmm. who was doing massive amounts of blow, but he doesn't want to do it. You know, it's his picture on the set. So he so he did it in my dressing room because he knew me. So he's, he would go out, he'd come in. So, you know, who, I didn't give a shit. But anyway, so this movie is going on. And I shoot this movie in two weeks. I do my two weeks, not one line except for Go Steelers, which is Amblin, of course. And I forget about this. You know, and about eight months later, somebody says, hey, whatever happened to that movie? I go, ah, oh, this movie's not coming. I don't know what the fuck this movie's about. <laughs> and then suddenly, I start seeing ads for this movie about this girl who wants to be a dancer. I go, hey, that's the movie. And so, and it's Flashdance. No, stop! <laughs> it's like, so because... Michael Nuri. Okay, okay. I sat behind Michael Nuri. Every time there's a shot of him, you see me sitting right behind him. <laughs> you know, that, that was where I sat. I have one ad lib line go. Now, thank God they kept that line in because yes, when you get residuals for a movie, the movie's residuals is based a lot upon how much money the movie makes. Also, if you get cut out of the movie, you don't get if you don't have a speaking part, you don't get residuals. You so get residuals one line. One line. Go Steelers. Go Steelers. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm sure. Go Steelers. You make me a lot of money. So what, what uh, did they think they wanted you for? Well, I have no idea. They wanted me to add, I guess, some comedy in the bar or something like that because I'm only in the bar with all guys. And we'd watch this girl get danced and thrown water on constantly. What the fuck is this? You know, it's like so. Um, and they don't have the they don't have the music back then, of course. So right. um, <laughs> that's hysterical. Okay, so so that made you some money. You getting some residual checks? Well, right I, I got a credit. I, I mean, I got a credit. I mean, they made a movie with the residuals, but I didn't make any money in the movie. Okay, so and okay, so. so and then, and then a couple of things happened. I got, I got lucky. And I'm so. By the way, I'm, I'm touring all around the country as a stand-up comic. I mean, I'm on Merv Griffin's show all the time, and I'm on uh, the Tonight Show. So you're making some good money there as a comic, right? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then a couple of things happened. Again, a director named Mary Lambert, uh, who directed videos comes in and sees me and says, uh, hires me to be a yes man in this. She's going to do a video, to do this video. Uh, and before the actual song begins, there's going to be a part of, of uh, a movie mogul, a Howard Hughes-esque movie mogul, but played mm -hmm. by Carity, who was watching this girl on, on a black and white screening room. You know, and they hired me, and I said, okay, great. I'll be a yes man. So 
I play his yes man. And he's saying, I like this girl. I go, yo, yeah, she's great. You know, she's good. You know, she really got something. I'm telling you, she's going to be a star. You know, and he said, and he goes, and, he goes, and I want to meet her. And then suddenly, dumb. And you are living in a material world. And I. Stop. Oh, yeah, my. If you know the video, it starts out in a. In a, in, a, in a screening room with Keith Carradine and his yes man, so wow. so that got some exposure. That was good, uh, and then I get um, well. The, the first real break is uh, Barry Levinson had liked my work a lot, and he had tried to you know because I'd read for Diner and some other stuff, and uh, that when he's casting Good Morning Vietnam, I, he puts me in that, and that's that that's you know when you. That's- that, that helps a lot, and then, and then right after that is Bull Durham, and that really helps a lot. Okay, and so wait, let's go back to talking about um, Good Morning Vietnam for a minute, and working with Robin Williams and um, Barry Levinson. Did you did, have you watched the Kaminsky Method? By the way, I watched the first season. I haven't seen the, the I, I haven't seen the new season. Is Barry well, in it? That yeah, yes. Spoiler alert! But yes, he has he has a moment and uh, more than a moment, and yeah, that's good. And your friend Paul Reiser is a huge part of the last season because Alan Arkin didn't do the last season because yes. of COVID. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, um, so working with Robin, um, and were you friends with Robin from stand up? Because I know it's East West Coast, and it's I've known Robins since before, since before Mork and Mindy. Before Mork and Indy went on the air, he had done some stuff, but you'd you'd have heard the stories. As a, if you're in a comedy scene, you kept hearing stories about this guy, comic from San Francisco, who would blow away rooms at three o'clock in the morning, and he was oh, all yeah. so. And then when he finally came uh, to New York with his managers and everything, he got to mm-hmm. see it. So we became friendly. Um, yeah, I've known Robin for a long for, you know, since she, you know, again about the same time, seventy eight. Was he a, was he a different onset doing this movie? Is that a different Rob, Robin Williams than the guy who's in the clubs doing stand up? Of course, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, Robin wasn't wasn't on. Now he can go on in a split second. I mean, anything he can go on in a second. But when he's not, he was talking. You ask him, he's like he's like anybody else. You know, he was very. He was one of the kindest. You know, Robin. I remember him. It's just funny. I remember more Robin the human being than comedian. Mm. I just. Uh, one of the great human beings I've ever met, uh, helping people out. You know, we, you got to remember, you know, like I guess I've told you, 78, 79, 80. Well, if you're a San Francisco comic in the early 80s, mm-hmm. about 30% of your colleagues are getting wiped out by AIDS. So Robin, I knew a couple of guy, comics who Robin was keeping a lot, you're paying under the table. Didn't Nobody knew about it. You know, I knew about it. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin, Robin was special. Robin was super special. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get you off. I'm sorry. I took you to Maudlin Land. So, uh, okay. So, Bill Durham. So, I I seem to recall. Bull, Bull, not Bill. His name's not Bill. It's Bull. Bull. I. Oh God, did I see Bill? I did say Bill. I know Bull, and I've seen it a million times. Um, 
So I seem to recall you saying that Tim Robbins was not the was it Tim Robbins that was not the original choice for that role that that studio, was not going to happen. Studio didn't want Tim Robbins. Studio wanted Anthony Michael Hall. And that's crazy. So why didn't Anthony Michael Hall do it? Uh, because truth be told, he was pretty stupid. What he did was he, he was. Now, this is the true story here. Ron Shelton, the director, writer-director, flies. Anthony Michael Hall's hot, I guess, hot at that time, obviously. So they want him for the, for the movie. And so Ron Shelton flies across the country from Los Angeles to New York to meet with him to talk about the script. So Ron, they're going to meet, I think, at the Columbus Cafe. So Ron meets with Anthony Michael Hall, shows up, you know, whatever, late, half hour, hour late. And so Ron says, okay, let's talk about the script. He goes, well, I've only got about 30 pages into it, but I've got some ideas. And Ron, he says, well, why don't you finish the script and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, remember, Ron's an ex-ball player. He ain't going to put up with shit. The, no. uh, so, so he calls his agent and says, you're a fucking client. You know, I, I flew across the country. I'm leaving here tomorrow. They go, Ron, 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 please stay one more day. I promise you, I'll read the script tomorrow and we'll have a meeting. He goes, okay. So he goes back the next day and I think the, guy, the guy's late, probably less late than one time. And he goes, so what do you think? Let's talk about it. He goes, well, I'm only about 60 pages into it. Oh. But, and it's like, the hell with this guy. So then I, then I, you know, uh, so then I don't know how Tim got cast, but he got cast. And you got to remember too, Tim is coming off one of the great Hollywood bombs. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, there's certain movies, I've been in a few, that people look at as embarrassments. And how he was the lead of Howard the Duck. And Howard <laughs> the Duck. <laughs> Which was a George Lucas film. What? Was it really? Wow. And it was a notorious bomb. And Tim's coming off of that. Now, Kevin, of course, is the hottest star in Hollywood. He's right. just on no way out in the Untouchables. So, uh, and then Susan was in it. And they didn't want Susan either. They didn't want Susan either. Oh, do you know who they wanted? That's crazy. Somebody younger. <laughs> Yeah, was it Susan, not Susan was, was really smart? Was smart into the script that the, that her character was older than than the ball, but they wanted younger, older. Bingo. What yeah. happened was Susan was living in Italy. She just had a daughter there. She was living there with this guy, and uh, she read the script. Mm -hmm. She realized that this part is a career changing part. Annie Savoy. On her own dime, and this does not happen in Hollywood ever, on her own dime, she flies to Los Angeles. And they don't want to even meet with her. The, not, not Ron, the you know the studio heads. Right. And, and, and so she gets put into this red dress, this tight-fitting red dress, Ron tells me. And she decides to walk into the Orion offices. You know, and she was sticking her head in and say, excuse me. She goes, hey, nice to see you. I go, I, I'm lost here. Can you tell me where? And then the guys all saw her there and they go, well, the executive said, you know, what if we put Susan Sarandon on this list? <laughs> That's true. Wow. Susan's smart. Susan's a smart. Yeah. <laughs>
That is so smart. Yeah. Yeah. But did you know when you were when that movie was being made? Did you have a sense that it would be what it became? No, we had a, we had a sense we're making a good movie. We were, had a sense we're telling a really good story, and the prose and the script is really good. Now you got to remember, baseball movies up to this point were had notoriously not done well at the box office. Uh, is that is that before there's no crying in baseball? Is that before? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, this is the first one. This is before uh, Major League. This is before. It's after the natural. It's after mm -hmm. the natural. But that was Robert Redford. That was a whole different story. Right. Um, right. The, uh, but it's before all the other baseball movies. So it hadn't, you know, it had done well. And, and you know, I remember the first time I saw it at screening, and it was really good. He was really good. And then Ron let me, you know, play. And Ron let me. Now, here's another story. I probably told you this time. So before we start shooting, a friend of mine's getting married. Uh, one of my college classmates, Barbara Parrott. And I, so I asked Barbara, Barbara, what do we get uh, Barbara for a wedding present? And she says, you know, candlesticks always make a nice gift. Or find out where she's registered and get her a silverware pattern or something. I go, good idea. Now. About two weeks later, we're shooting this scene, um, you know, and the way movies are, you know, all the action's out on the field. So all the cameras are turned that way. Well, right. I'm coming, so I'm coming from the dugout. So the cameras are turned now this way. It's a, So you're shooting that last. And, and it's cold there. If you see, you'll see breath. You'll see our breath. And so the, the way the line is scripted is there's this meeting on the mound and everybody's there. and Costner goes, what the hell's going on here? And uh, uh, no, no, I, I was supposed to run out there, right? I run out there and say, what the hell's going on here? And Costner says, well, Nuke Lelouch's father is in the stands. You know, we've got uh, the, the first baseman's girlfriend has put a curse on the glove. And we don't know what to get Millie and Jimmy for a wedding present. We're dealing with a lot of shit here. And the line is written was, oh, I thought there was a problem. Okay. <laughs> and that was it. And we shot it that way, totally shot it that way. Now, right. Ron, to my everlasting love, and, and said, okay, Robert, you've been sitting in the dugout all night. I'm sure you got something you want to say here. One take, put two cameras on it, let's get coverage. And so they set it up, you know, what's, what the hell's going on here? And there's, and Costner goes into, you know, Nuke's dad is in the audience. The first baseman's girlfriend has put a curse on his glove. And we don't know what to, what to get Millie and Jimmy for a wedding present. We're dealing with a lot of shit here. <laughs> I just said, well, candlesticks always make a nice gift or find out where she's registered and get her a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get two. You know, and that's baseball stuff. So I knew I'd get it. Okay, so let me, now let me go next bit. Every night after the uh, the next day, you'd show dailies. We were on location. So everybody would gather around at night after shooting to watch the previous day's work. And, you know, you'd, uh, adult beverages and, what, and smoke and everything else was there. Right. So they show the dailies, and again, because I was the last shot, and the show in order that you shoot, because I was the last shot, most of the people had never seen what happened. So they show the scene, and the last one is me saying this thing, and the place explodes in laughter. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's funny, but I'll never, this is never making it into the movie, you know, because I don't know too many writer-directors who would say, yeah, it's funny, yeah, it's in character, but I didn't write it, and it's not going to be a movie. I know a lot. They, 95% would do that. 
Right. So, so then I'm at the first, you know, test screening or a screening and it's in there. And I'm shocked and it gets a huge laugh. Now, oh, here's the, the studio wants the entire scene cut out of the movie. They want the entire meeting on the mound scene cut out of the movie. To, to, and their argument to Ron was, it doesn't push the plot. And Ron, to his credit, says, what plot? There is no plot. <laughs> there is no plot in this movie. It's about this, this journey. There's no plot. And the only reason, the only reason that that line is in the movie is because at every test screening, that scene, they ask you to rank your favorite scenes in the movie. It was always one or two, always. So they could say, so no, look at this, you know, you're crazy. And that's the reason it stayed in, the only reason. Wow. Did people quote that line back to you? Oh, yeah. But you know what else is great? What happened because of it? I never have to think about what I ever got to give somebody for a wedding present. I never. <laughs> I never think of that at all. It, it, it takes that's one that's one decision I've already put in, in you know in the back pocket. Wow! So you've given candlesticks for the last gazillion years. <laughs> and what happens? I, 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 we're only got a couple of minutes to go, right? I mean, right? That's it. So, um, but what happened is, I had seen the movie and I thought this is really good. And what happened is the late, great, wonderful woman I, I owe my life to, Marion Dougherty, who was the grand doyen of casting directors in, the, in our business. She started the casting director business. There's a great documentary called Casting By, and it's about Marion Dougherty mostly. And she started everybody. She gave Robert Duvall and, and Dustin Hoffman their first parts. She, wow. she started casting like Playhouse, not Playhouse 90, but like... Uh, all those things like M Squad and all those shows in New York. And she was a fan of mine. And she brought me in to, to uh, meet with Tim Burton to, 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 for the reporter in Batman. And I read and I thought it went okay. And I invited Tim to see a screening of Bull Durham. And, uh, and he went and I don't know if that sealed the deal, but, uh, you know, so he hired me. Uh, we're going to talk about Batman. But somebody asked about Blaze and working with uh, Paul Newman. Yeah, I only I didn't only had the one scene, and my scene wasn't wasn't with Paul. Uh, however, uh, I came down from after the Batman at the premiere. I went directly from the premiere down to Louisiana because they were doing uh, I think two weeks of rehearsals and everything and read throughs. So and so Ron and I uh, so I got to meet Paul and Paul uh, Ron and I had dinner at Paul's house. He cooked chili, Newman's own chili cooked by Newman's own. Um, oh my God. Yeah, he had the he had nice guy. He had the the worst told the worst jokes of anybody you ever saw in your life. <laughs> I mean, he had he had frat boy humor a little bit. You know, wow. his idea of a practical joke would be to like the guy gets a new car and he would pile in a, uh, like a fill it up with horse manure. You know, and that's frat boy stuff. You know, that was his that was Paul's idea of a joke. Uh, his favorite joke. This is his favorite joke. He said, three guys are sitting on a bench, three old timers. What's the greatest invention of all time? First guy says, I don't know. I reckon it uh, got to be the telephone. He goes, how about the telephone? Goes, well, you, 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 you can call people all over the world. You can pick them up. You know, and, and you get pretty great, pretty great, you know, the telephone. 
Next guy says, no, no, it's got to be the airplane. He goes, the airplane, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, no, 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 the airplane. The airplane goes from, the airplane go, anywhere you want to go, the airplane go. <laughs> and the third guy says, no, the greatest invention of all time is the thermos. Guy goes, the thermos? Why the thermos? He goes, because it keeps things hot and it keeps things cold. And he goes, so what's so great about that? He goes, yeah, but how does it know? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, stupid, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good joke, but that's his favorite joke of what was his favorite joke. That's pretty crazy. So, 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 talking about Batman, you were like in the most controversial Batman that I think has ever been. Michael Keaton, not exactly the go-to to be Batman. It's it's funny you say that because people don't remember. That. They don't. They, you know, he's you know, generations don't remember that. Well, you had to be there for that when when they announced Michael Keaton as Batman, the shit that hit the fan, because you know. You know, Michael Keaton had just done Mr. Mom and he and Night Shift, and they're saying Batman. I mean, he, I mean, they were now what they don't know is it was all Tim Burton. Tim Burton had worked with Michael on Beetlejuice beforehand. And I knew Michael because Michael was a stand up comic. Michael, so I, right. so I knew Michael, and I knew Michael was a good actor and he had a dark side. If you want to see a great picture, I've never seen it played. There's a movie he did called Clean and Sober before he did Batman. I, I love that. He plays a cocaine addict. And it's really, he's really good in it. I mean, he's super good in it. So yeah. I knew Mike was fine. But it's remember, Batman's success is all, it, I shouldn't say all, 85% Tim Burton. It's Tim Burton. Because they want, somebody else, the, the, the producers wanted to go more in the Joel Schumacher Batman version. They they were of the campy version. And, and, and Tim wouldn't have any of that. I see. I did not like the Batman TV series. It was much too campy for me. Uh, so, you know, I once asked, I once asked uh, the producers. I, I wasn't sure if it was Goober or Peters. If you didn't get Michael Keaton, who did you want? You know who they wanted to cast? Chevy Chase. What? Yeah, yeah. They were going in that Bill Murray Chevy Chase. You know, they were. It's I'm, it's Tim Burton, man. It's all. I can't even begin to imagine that. No, but most people back then couldn't imagine Michael Keaton, but Tim Burton, Tim, it, it's all Tim Burton. I mean, his genius. I mean, now there were other great contributors. The, the set designed by Anton First, who did later who uh, killed himself. He won the Oscar and then he killed wow. himself. Going to Gotham City at Pinewood Studios every day was pretty cool. Um, wow. And then, uh, I mean, it worked. I mean, the movie and Jack, they had, you know, the, the Nicholson and, you know, it, it worked. What you was know. that like? What was it like? The, the greatest. Nicholson's the greatest. I mean, I was, at a, I was with him at a party. A girl comes up to him one time and goes, you want to dance? And he went, wrong verb. <laughs> well, you've also worked with De Niro. What was that like? Great. He gave me the part. It was the it was Tribeca's first film, Mistress. And I was playing a young writer director. Barry Primus was mm -hmm. the writer director, and basically I'm playing Barry. And he was playing this would be auteur. And uh, Barry took a chance on me. De Niro took a chance on me. And uh, 
that cast, I mean, I mean, every day, that's where I learned. I mean, that's the best performance, best work as an actor I ever did by far. Uh, Mistress. Um, I mean, every day I would go to work and I was, Martin Landau was the co, you know, he's the, the, the co-star with. So I had Martin Landau every day. And then it's a story's about a guy who, this young guy who uh, now is forced to making videos, instructional videos, but this old timey producer, Martin Landau, thinks he, can, thinks he can get money to make this independent film of his. But the three money guys all want their mistress to play the lead in the movie. So the three guys, the three investors were Eli Wallach, Danny Aiello, and Robert De Niro. The three women were um, a girl named Tuesday, Tuesday Knight is her name, believe it or not. Uh, and it's Cheryl Lee Ralph and Jean Smart. Lori Metcalf played my wife. Uh, uh, Christopher Walken played, uh, you know, the, my flashback actor. So I'm going to work every day with really good, great people. And I, I got into the Academy because um, De Niro and, and, uh, uh, and Landau signed my uh, entry card, you know, to try to get into the Academy and they got the, and it worked. I, um, I, I have not seen that film. I've got to see if I can find that film. That sounds amazing. It's a very dark movie. It's funny. It's dark. It's the one that most film students come up to me about because, really? that, yeah, because that's their life. You know, that's, that's going to be their life. Of course, this is so changed. It's so changed. So anyway, hey, uh, I gotta go. I got so. All right, before we go, we just there's two things. Arliss, the Academy Awards, Academy Awards, the Academy Awards, and Arliss. I mean, two huge things in your career. So, how did the Academy Awards? For those of you who don't know, Robert wrote the two Academy Awards with Billy Crystal that were the iconic ones. How did that happen? How did you get that gig? Another good story. What happened, how I got the gig. Now, I knew Billy's manager, uh, David Steinberg and Larry mm -hmm. Preston, him very well. Um, I don't know if I'd met Billy before him, but I might. But but what happened was, again, this is during the down period. This is I wasn't doing much. But I shared a manager with Carl Reiner. Uh, Carl Reiner. So Carl's wife, Estelle, was a cabaret singer. And she had an act. And she was going to perform in one of the clubs, I think maybe the Gardenia Room or something like that, here in L.A. And Carl was looking for an opening act. He wanted a young comic for an opening act. So uh, George Shapiro. Uh, George gave, was the master? Yeah, George and Howard were Shapiro West, yeah. So George gave Carl my, you know, tape. Carl liked it. He said, okay, now I got to tell you, at this point in my life, Opening for Estelle Reiner, who I, I'm guessing was, she was a woman of a certain age at that point. Yeah. And, you know, this was not a career move that I really thought, you know, this is it. I'm, you know, so, but I did it because out of respect for Carl Reiner, who was one of my idols. And then the first show, the first night happens. And I didn't take into account who the audience was going to be. Sorry, I'm getting a kickback here. Here we go. Um, I get out there, and in the front, this place only sat about maybe 100, maybe, probably less. But in the first row, it's Mel Brooks, Anne Bancroft, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris <laughs> Gale, Billy and Janice Crystal, uh, 
it's like all their whole crowd is there. I mean, it's like, holy shit. And so, and I did well. I get a call a couple of weeks later from David Steinberg and saying, Robert, Billy's going to host the Grammys. They've asked him to host the Grammys. Would you want to write it with him? I said, hell yeah. So that's what we started. We did that for two or three years. And then he got the call to do the Oscars. And then we just went ahead and did the Oscars. Now, the interesting thing is for all those times up until maybe, well, up until maybe the second or third year we did the Oscars, it was just me and Billy. There were no other writers. Nowadays, you look at the writing staff for one of these Academy Awards, there's 30 writers, and they can't come up with 10 good jokes. It was me and Billy, and then Duke Lance joined us, and Mark Shaman was always with, was with us for the musical pieces. But that was it. Wow. It. Wow. So you guys, so he's running back there in between, and you guys are in your... Well, we were, we had a, you know, he's got his monologue prepared. We're pretty prepared. Right. Uh, you, you know, and, and plus you got Billy Crystal. And so, you know, you know, so that's pretty great. But we, you get lucky because we get Jack Palance. And Jack Palance starts doing one-arm push-ups on the uh, <laughs> stage after winning the Oscar. And so we had right. – so we're now we're backstage. You know, how, Billy, how about uh, – Billy and Bruce said, hey, how about Jack uh, – the bungee jumping had just come, become a big thing. And he goes, how about mm -hmm. Jack Palance? just uh, jumped off the Hollywood sign. I go, no, he bungee jumped off the Hollywood sign. And it did, it just exploded. So, you know, we, so always, we, and then after the show was over, I said, you know, that was a pretty good show. We wound up winning the Emmy. That's how that happened. Arliss was something else. Arliss, uh, Arliss came because Mike Tolan came to me from HBO. Well, Mike Tolan, the producer, had wanted to do an idea of the Spinal Tap of sports. He had pitched it to HBO. HBO knew, I had a relationship with him, Chris Albrecht. No, Chris was not, there, not in charge yet. Um, mm. But I had a relationship with him. Uh, I'd done the mm. Young Comedian show. I had written some other shows. And they said, see if you can get Robert involved. So they pitched me the show. And I said, you know, I have, I've seen this. You know, spinal tap of this, spinal tap of that. I go. What I'd like to do is I'd like to write a mini series about as, as told through the eyes of a very self-serving sports agent. I said sports agents was not in the public vernacular. It's before Jerry Maguire. I was just so, asking. So, and then it became a series because with the business model, how to be a series. And I, after writing about five drafts, they finally let it go. And then we, uh, and then we got on the air, and we still on for seven seasons. And I, you know, it was the greatest thing because I could write about any story. It's funny now; it's now on HBO Max, and people, for you know, when I talk to people, they go, "I had no idea that you had gotten to that many social issues." Because I did stories about about you know domestic abuse, about transgender athletes, about gay athletes, about alcohol, about Alzheimer's. Ed Asner playing Alzheimer's. Announcer. Uh, you know, I, I did you know uh, unwanted pregnancies. Uh, you know, so I had no, so I had no problem. I would balance the comedy, and, and this is as the season went along, as the series went along. We did eighty episodes, so it really started happening about season two or three. So, and everybody said, boy, you are way ahead of your time here. And I go, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I'd rather be of my time and have Seinfeld money. The, um, <laughs> honest, and of course I had, uh, I had, uh, and, and when I look at them now and they hold up pretty damn well, I'm, I, I had not seen them, but it, there was a podcast in New York called the George Lucas talk show. And they would, they would in real time do a season of Arliss every Sunday. And they asked me to come on. So I had to rewatch the episodes. 
And um, I had this, and of course, I, I had a pretty good cast. I had Jim Turner, Michael Boatman, who's great. And as my girl Friday, I cast somebody that no one ever heard of by the name of Sandra O. Oh. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was, and then that she wasn't everybody's first choice. She was my choice. I said, I, because the other girl, you know, I'll tell you a story. It was between her and Lauren Graham. And, uh, and I, so I couldn't lose, could not lose. Right. Lauren Graham was great. I just felt a couple of reasons. One is, I thought, let's go against the traditional. Two is, and this is, and everybody knows me, I was dealing with a sports agent clientele. So I was going to have athletes all over the world. And I said, I want diversity. I want a lot of diversity on the show because he represents all these people. So that played a part in it. That played a part in it. And then the first year, like in any series, you're finding your legs, what people can do, what people can't do. And mm -hmm. uh, the more I realize as the show goes on, what I've got. <laughs> so I kept giving her more and more. And then we're paired with Sex in the City. And so I was losing, you know, when we first went on, uh, we were like 70% 70, 70 male or 75% male watching the show. And so really? that's that's not going to cut it following Sex in the City. And I knew my conduit to hanging on to the audience was Sandra. So, uh -huh. so I geared more to the show than that. You know, you'd be stupid not to do that. So uh, more and more. And then I remember Fran Lieber was coming up to me and saying, I hate sports, but I love your show. <laughs> and uh, so, but, but that was great because I could tell any story I wanted to tell. Any story I wanted to tell about no means no or, you know, whatever it was, I could tell it. And also, HBO, I had total freedom, total freedom, mm -hmm. and they weren't aligned with any sports league. They didn't have the baseball or football. So I, so they, so the, so the leagues couldn't say, hey, we can't do this. You know, we're going to hurt you. We're not going to re-sign with you. They couldn't do it because they didn't have anything. The only thing they had was Wimbledon back then. So, Robert, is there anything – all right, you're writing your stories down, which I love, and I hope there is going to be a book because you you have a gazillion more stories. Is there anything that calls to you still that you'd like to do? Oh, I still love directing a lot, um, I, and I love being in the editing room a lot. Um, you know, I've always liked working with good people. I always I, I always joke that how do you, I stand next to somebody good in the movie? That's I would stand next to Costner or Robin Williams or, you know, or Susan Sarandon or Jack Nicholson, you know, stand next to some Paul Newman, you know, so, uh, but I, I like that. But the, the business has changed so much. And there's not just a question of business change, which has, but the demographic mm. is so, in the movie business is so young. It's mm. so young. And, you know, point of view, ambiguity, at least in the movies, uh, unless it's unless it's some independent film, which is great, I love independent films, but that plays to another crowd too. That plays to a very specific crowd. Have you had people get passed on because they were young people looking at it who didn't kind of get what was going on? I'm sure I have. Nothing's jumping out at me, but yeah, of course. I mean, every, but everybody has. 
There's the very famous, and that's, by the way, that's always been the case. You know, and that's from time, you know, that's, I believe most things in life are generational. So that's always, there's a very famous story of the great director of Fred Zinneman, who directed everything from High Noon, Man for All Seasons, From Here to Eternity, Julia. I mean, one of the all-time great, great directors. And he goes into a meeting, some young executive's office. Mm -hmm. And the executive says, you know, I'm not familiar with your work. Uh, tell me some of your credits. And Zinnemann said, you first. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yeah. That's pretty great. So that's, that's, that's always happened. Because now, because of the demographic. And also, and also, you know, the demographic is so... And first of all, they cost a lot of money. Movies cost a whole lot of money. Streaming is going to be less, I mean, but uh, uh, but movies cost, so you have to make it back. And who goes to the movies? Kids, young people. Okay, so does that interest you? Does it interest you to write something that would stream like a 10-part like a oh, yeah. something hey, like that? That's just a delivery service. Yeah, you write what you know. Yeah, for sure. Anything. But, you know, you know, it's funny. You know, I, I did fairly well in this business, and I, I – I just, you know, if something happens, great. If not, I'm very happy to do, like I said, I, I didn't have a bad time during COVID. I'm not having a bad time now. Well, and but you're not getting to go to Paris and have hot chocolate at Angelina's, which I, I am is not. Weird. I am not. I, we didn't get to go last year. We won't be able to go for other reasons this year. But uh, uh, next year, I'm going to have a big platinum jubilee party. Excellent. Last time we went, last time I went, we, you know, you know, usually take about a crowd of about 10 people with me. So uh, I'll have the new dogs. I have my new dogs now. So. And uh, you were going to tell us about your new dogs. So uh, um, you, uh, I can't remember what their names are, but they're cute. Riley, Riley and Rosie. Riley and Rosie. You're going to show us Riley and Rosie. You're going to give us a little. Can you, I don't know if you can see. Other oh, people I hate this stuff. Um, let me see. Can you see on? Can you see this on there? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Which is the, who's Riley and who's Rosie? Riley is the uh, uh, brown and white one. Rosie's of course, because Rosie. Rosie's the girl. Now, by the way, and reason we call them Riley is because being a dog in my house is a really good gig because we don't have kids, so. I mean, this is my last two dogs. I don't know if you can check out where we are here. I'm the, having a hard time feeling. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't no. see. No. You can't, you can't see where that is. Oh, it's the it's it's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, they went eight times. Wow. They went to Paris eight times with us. <laughs> like you said, this dog's gonna have the life of Riley. So wow. you know, my mother used to say, "I want to come back as a dog in your house." Okay. So these, dog, these dogs, you know, you know, knock wood, are in for well, it won't be for a while now, but it, it'll be, you know, by next year. Yeah. Wonderful, Robert. Thank you so much for doing this again. It's always so fun to hang out with you. Your well, stories are fabulous. I hope you do write that memoir because okay. you got the, got the goods. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, you're very welcome. Bye bye. See you soon. I hope. Bye bye.